Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. David Staples of the Epton Journal here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Welcome, David. Hey, David. How are you doing? Good. What a difference a day makes. Big win by the Oilers. Four to one. They looked, well, they had a lot going for them tonight. They, They did seem to be putting in, from the start of the game, they were the better team. And they popped two power play goals in the first period. So the game was never really uh, in doubt too much after that. Two early goals in the second period. Leon Dreisaitl's domination continues. Uh, Mike Smith handled pretty much everything that came his way. So, Bruce, we're going to do our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers podcast. What's your good thing? Well, my good thing is going to be Leon Dreisaitl and, as you say, his domination of, uh, of the proceedings tonight and in many different facets of the game. Uh, I'm going to focus on maybe two plays. Uh, one was the actual not a power play goal. was scored three seconds after the guy emerged from the penalty box. Uh, but the Oilers' power play uh, was in fine fettle. And you know what? That power play was not running through Connor McDavid. It was running through Leon Dreisaitl. They kept feeding him at the top of the right circle. He kept holding the puck, looking, fending off guys, picking his spots and feeding the dish, you know. And on the one sequence uh, was from a minute and one left in the power play to three seconds after it ended. Uh, Leon took the first shot which was a one-time bomb that, that knocked the goalie stick out of the goalie's hands. It was such a rocket. Nearly scored there. Uh, second thing he did that I really liked was he absolutely busted his ass back towards Oilers' territory on the back check when it looked like Columbus might have a two-on-one from a broken play after that after that shot. And uh, he skated full steam, uh, Towards his own net, same speed as he would towards the other net. I love that in any player. And uh, it was a nice example of it there. And then he retrieved the puck behind his own net, carted it all the way up the ice into uh, uh, Columbus uh, territory, dished it off. Puck went back to him five more times, and five different times he dished it off, dished it off, dished it off. And finally, he set up the chance at the side of the net where in the scramble on the re- rebound, R&H made a great pass back to Leon, boom, into the net. And it was like he had eight handles of the puck in 60-odd seconds and was just in control. He was the man on that sequence, and the whole play went through him. And it was he's just a, to see. He's a better half-court player than Connor McDavid. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, he controls the puck better, passes it uh, slightly better. They're both really excellent passers of the puck. Yeah. And he shoots it better. McDavid's a bet, much better kind of, you know, 200-foot player, I think, or a better 200-foot player. But in that offensive end, when you're killing a penalty or uh, setting up your attack on the power play, Dreisaitl is the guy uh, who I think should get the majority of the touches because that's his game. He's able to just uh, dissect a team with his passing and obviously right. crush them with his shooting. So, and yeah, you have, uh, and then you have McDavid as your utter wild card factor, flitting around the outside of the play, uh, utterly deadly and capable of burying or, or making the key play at any moment. But the play wasn't going through him. At least it sure wasn't on uh, 
uh, sequences I watched tonight. The second sequence of, of, of Dreisaitl was a very critical part of tonight's game. I thought hugely important. When the Oilers were ahead 4-1 and they took two penalties 13 seconds apart and they had to kill a two-man disadvantage late in the second. Columbus scores there. There's life in them. And who knows, you know, right? They will have cut the lead in half before the end of the second. They send out Leon as a choice. Three on five. He's the first choice. We saw it already earlier this year. He wins a face-off. They clear the zone. Uh, he tacks the puck in the neutral zone and disrupts the rush. Then twice uh, the, the puck gets into Edmonton's territory, and there's a loose puck, and we, Leon wins the puck battle and golfs it out of the zone. And minute and 21 seconds uh, of that shift he killed and I think the only Columbus shot came at the very tail end of that entire sequence and somebody shot it into Mike Smith's bread basket. Seth Jones and it wasn't I didn't even see it as a grade A shot it was from mm-hmm. outside the uh, the kill zone. And- but the killers did a, you know and then the defense I mean Nurse had a great shift then as well and made a couple of big shot blocks but uh, uh, Leon I mean he's an all situations player I mean three on five I mean obviously power plays one of the deadliest power players going three on three overtime deadly uh, five on five you know like it's a guy he's a monster of a player and, and we're still finding out how good but uh, on nights like this man it seems like the sky is the limit so uh, my good thing Bruce was the uh, the defensive pairings and um I'm going to suggest that the return of another puck-moving defenseman in Parson made a huge difference to the Oilers. In the last seven games with Parson out, Bruce, the Oilers have scored just nine goals. And their even-strength offense had, had just completely dried up. And, you know, so having having Parson out did a couple things, obviously. It inserted Brandon Manning, who, who sure tries hard, but is no kind of puck-mover. And him and Benning, when they're out there together, the offense dries up. It also puts Chris Russell on his offside with Oscar Clefbaum. And that's also not, doesn't work great in terms of puck moving. The Oilers, no. Bruce, are going to, the Oilers will win a Stanley Cup, Bruce, when they have three pairs of defensemen who can move the puck. They've got to get three pairs of defensemen. So what I saw tonight was Nurse and Bear are starting to get, just develop some real chemistry out there together, real some confidence, knowing where the other guy is, moving the puck back and forth. It's kind of a joy to see, actually. And I, 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 when Larson comes back, I'll be astonished and probably a little bit appalled if they put Larson back with Nurse because um, Bear, the chemistry those two players have is just tremendous. And 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 again, Nurse needs to be with a, a superior puck mover, superior hockey IQ player to play his best game. And uh, he doesn't do that with Larson; doesn't come close. The second pairing with Clefbaum and Parson actually did very well. Um, Parson. Looked, it was a fair. It wasn't a hard game for him. Columbus didn't put on a lot of pressure. Didn't have a lot of intensity, but he he played well. And I I don't know if Parson is the long term answer, but I do know that he's the right style of player that they need. So there's a second kind of one that may maybe they'll develop. What if they develop the same kind of chemistry in the next 20, 30 games that uh, Bear and and uh, Nurse have right now? So then you have the third pairing, and Russell on his left side is a much different player and a much more effective puck mover. I don't think either Russell or Benning are the long-term answer um, for the Oilers' third pairing because of their puck-moving ability. I just don't think it's at the right level. It's possible that if Bear got with, if, excuse me, that if Benning got with a really superior player puck mover like Caleb Jones, um, that it might work out. 
And that, I'll tell you what, if if they have another injury, I do not want to see Manning back in. They've got to call up Caleb Jones and put him in uh, the lineup, in my opinion. Because, again, when the Oilers finally get three pairs of puck-moving defensemen, they will win the Stanley Cup. They will win the Cup, Bruce. They can do that. This team can do that, but they need to have that kind of push from the back end. Makes all the difference. Yeah, well... Yeah, having three good pairs is uh, is a cat's meow, as we as we know. When uh, the Oilers were a successful team, uh, they were three deep in pairs, and and they, uh, uh, you know, they had no real weak link. I mean, there was uh, there was a clear third pairing, but they were still pretty darn good and reliable. And they, uh, you, you can't have a weak link really if you want to. Uh, uh, challenge for the cup unless you're the 2007 Anaheim Ducks and you have three guys that can play 30 minutes a night and you can hide everybody else for the other 30 combined minutes but uh, that was a pretty pretty unusual situation <clears throat> I do I did like the righty lefty thing I was getting a, uh, a little fed up watching Chris Russell coughing the puck up to the other team you know in the neutral zone often he got it out of the zone but never really under control it seemed like so often it would just be a what I call a punt, change of possession. You gain field position, but you lose the ball. In football and hockey, it's the same kind of play. Dump it out into the neutral zone, gain a little bit of time to reorganize, but you don't have the puck. And that's a, that's a very uh, kind of reactive kind of game. You know what's really worked, Bruce, is when they have the that kind of, this formation with these even these three pairings, which I think are, are, are adequate to make the playoffs, like if these guys can stay healthy, this is an adequate group. Um, they have that. They're, they're continuing to move the puck up the middle of the ice in the defensive zone and looking for that. And it's it's something that we didn't see nearly as much last year. But co- constantly during the game, they're making that play, passing it into the middle of the ice, getting it out of the zone, passing it even cross ice, getting it out of the zone. And it's just it's kind of refreshing. And it, and it continues to be. It's kind of an ongoing thing. It hasn't burnt them very much at all. Um, and, it's, and it's made a big difference to the team. So... That's something that Dave Tippett and and Playfair have really Jim Playfair have really stressed. So good for them. I thought it was it was most really apparent in the third period. And the, the Oilers came out in the third period a little tentative, and for the first five or six minutes up the first TV timeout, I thought they were spending too much time back on their heels without the puck, and then all of a sudden, they just took command of the puck again. They started winning battles. They started to aggressively attack the puck in all three zones. They started to play with the puck in all three zones. And the fire was out. Columbus generated nothing. In fact, I'm not sure they had any real good chances the whole third period. And it was textbook how they uh, how they closed it out. And I think the, the O'Reilly-Lefty defense pairings had something to do with that. Do you have a bad thing? Kind of hard to pick a bad thing, eh? Hard to pick a bad thing. Although I'll default to the injury to Riley Sheehan. I hate to see injuries to uh, any player. <clears throat> and uh, even one that's slumping, as I would say he probably was. Uh, they were able to uh, withstand the, uh, uh, the short, shorter bench. They double-shifted McDavid a little bit uh, with his line mates of Grandland and uh, Patrick Russell. Uh, but, you know, losing a guy after four minutes of action. Uh, and a dirty and who knows, hit. Who knows for how long. Yeah, it was, yeah. He hit anyway. him in the numbers from behind yeah. his head into the boards. Yeah, I think that's I a dirty hit in the NHL yeah. these days. Yeah. Anyway, that's, so that's my bad thing is losing a guy to injury. You can't really count the ref getting in the way of the puck all night long as a bad thing, can you? 
he got bowled over to <laughs> I have to admit I laughed when uh, Tim Peel he's uh, not our the favorite. ice at one time. He's nobody's favorite. He's oh. widely reviled around the league. He's the Joe West of the NH of the NHL. <laughs> Is that a baseball umpire? Don't That's a baseball umpire and a very aggravating one that has a combative relationship with every manager and team in the league. <laughs> so um my bad thing is there was a couple of fourth line or third line guys like Gagne and Kara, who that kind of second line who played well. And I thought Chase on and Neil were okay, but um, I didn't think Haas or Haas was fast, but he wasn't strong on the puck. And, and I'm still waiting to see a Marcus Granlin hustle, like really dig in. And Haas digs in, he was a little tentative with the puck, but I like his skill. And I, I, and uh, we're probably going to see more of him now if Shane's out. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not seeing it with Granlin, Bruce. I'm just. Mm-hmm. I'm just wondering what is this player going to help do to help the Oilers win. So uh, it's kind of like the Yurcho situation where you just really wonder, is this going to work out? You know, you bring in seven or eight of these third, fourth line guys, and you just need a couple of them, two or three of them, to really pan out, and that's a, that's a great average. You know, you, you've really mm-hmm. succeeded. But uh, so it's not surprising when some of them don't make it. But uh, we're we're starting to see that with with Gradlin, and of course, lots of fans are grumbling about him. And this game didn't do much to change that. He just doesn't seem oh. to dig into the play. And some bad luck there on the one Columbus oh, goal when his stick broke on uh, blocking a shot. You know, he was doing his job in the shooting lane, uh, blocked the shot, and the stick cracks off. And now he got a three and a half against five for about. Uh, Minute and a half, and you got the you haven't got the necessarily the guys you you choose to have out there at that point, and eventually uh, they coughed the puck up and into the net it went. But it was um, he doesn't bring any offense. He does have a modicum of of uh, defensive game, but uh, uh, he played 16 minutes tonight. Uh, Marcus Grandman, they leaned on him quite a bit, especially yeah. when you consider that his center was out for. Uh, um, for part of it. But, well, they wanted to give lots of ice time to everybody, right? Yeah. Ride the the really good players in a game where you're up. Like yeah, that. it was nice. They were actually able to close out the game without having to ride their ride their stars down the stretch really at all, and they they got a bit of a breather uh, in the last ten minutes, especially. What's so, your um, What's your number, Bruce? Uh, my number. I'm going to go with Oscar Kleffbaum's uh, stat line tonight. I liked Oscar's game tonight. I thought he looked way better with Joel Harrison than he's looked for some time, and he was more engaged. I thought he was he was uh, um, challenging uh, on the puck and defensively and offensively both. Here's his stat line for tonight: 77 Kleffbaum plus two, 27 minutes 19 seconds. Uh, seven minutes and eight seconds on the power play, which was successful. 3.15 on the penalty kill. Uh, just under 17 minutes even strength. Five shots, 11 shot attempts, four block shots, and a hit. Like Thanks. He was very involved in, in uh, the game at both ends of the ice. and uh, uh, So, uh, plus two, you're going to like that. So. It'll be interesting when Larson comes back if no one else is hurt, and that's a big if because players, NHL defense, are always getting hurt, what they're going to yep. do. But, I mean, if Parson and Clefbaum, this is obviously a huge opportunity right now for Joel Parson to establish himself with Clefbaum and have some, some success there. 
you know, I wouldn't mind seeing, honestly, a, a shutdown pairing. Kind of, you could call it your third line pairing, but you know, just when you're in some tough situations and you need a gritty stop, have Russell and Larson together. Mm-hmm. Now you might worry about the puck. I would worry about the puck moving ability of of that pairing, but I don't think Larson's any worse than Benning. Um, you know, the you know the move you'd expect them to make would be to put Pearson with Russell and Larson with Clefbaum, which would be fine as well, probably. But Clefbaum and Larson haven't had a lot of success since Lately. 17 playoffs together. And um, if Pearson and Clefbaum are killing it, that'll be interesting to see what they do. My number, Bruce, is um, 27 out of 49. So Leon Dreisaitl, uh, he he's, you know, there's there's a lot of talk, and, and there should be a lot of talk about it, you know, whether his shooting scoring is sustainable. You know, can a guy keep shooting it? You know, he shot at 22% last year. He's, he's mm-hmm. at least 22 now, 22%. You know, for the average forward shoots at 10 to 11%. Now, over his career, Dreisaitl has, has shot at about, Sixteen uh, percent. So we we know that you know he's a he's a judicious shooter for one thing. He doesn't shoot a lot of pucks unless he thinks he can score. So that's one of the reasons he has a higher shooting percentage. But this, nonetheless, that's a fairly high shooting percentage. So what twenty seven though out of forty nine represents of out of his forty nine shots, Bruce twenty seven have either been breakaways or one timer shots. Twenty seven out of forty nine. Wow. That's an extremely high percentage mm-hmm. of that kind of shots you know six so there's been 21 timers and seven breakaways tonight he scored on two one-timer shots and the reason we're tracking breakaways and one-timers this year is to try to dig into how, you know a player like dry settle in a way like the high shooting percentage what is it what does it really mean is he just lucky or is actually this guy just just finding a way to get off extremely dangerous shot after shot after shot after shot and when you're and those shots don't go in at a 10 or 11 percent league average rate they go in at a 33 percent rate so um that's what that's what i that's you know i don't know if if he can keep getting this many one-timer shots but this is why he's scoring that many goals he he just has incredible shot quality Mm -hmm. well He's uh, he's 12 goals now on 49 shots, so he'll be running just uh, around 24.5% after tonight's game, after last year's 21. And you think, well, that's just unsustainable. But what I see uh, constantly is uh, heavy, accurate, quick release from good shooting positions off of uh, very often very good setups. Like you've got the whole, the whole basket of what you want in terms of uh, a dangerous shooter. And I know I spent uh, a chunk of, of the day in training camp just focusing on Leon as he worked on his one-timers and worked and worked and worked and worked on his one-timers uh, at the end of the ice I happened to be sitting at. And he had the guy feeding over pass after pass after pass. And some of them were behind him and some were in front of him and some were in his feet and some were in the air. And man, oh man, just time and time and time again, he would get something on the puck and get it on the net. And it was just something that he's basically worked tirelessly at. And he's become now, I would say, one of the very most feared shooters in the league. I mean, Ovi obviously is the the, the guy. Um, but Leon is kind of tending in that direction from what I'm seeing this last couple of years. Wow. 
So Ovechkin has 70 shots right now. Yeah, he's a have, volume shooter. He's a volume shooter. So, and this is the difference with Leon is that he, he, he really, uh, he doesn't like to shoot unless he really thinks he can score. He's just, just not someone who's just going to throw it at the net. That's not his game. He's going to hold the puck and make a play because he can, because because often he does. So he's an interesting guy, and that's that's another reason that that shooting percentage is a little higher because he doesn't. He's not like Ovechkin who's firing at will. Patrick Liney, how many shots does he have? Uh, can't. No, and Enough. anyway, his his he'll he'll shoot the puck quick, but if he can't shoot it quick, his tendency is to hold it and pass it. Yep. And it's not often that you'll see him just hang on to the puck and then wing it in from outside. It's just not his game. He'd rather make a play with it. And uh, he's uh, he's bringing back very happy memories to me of uh, an old favorite of mine named Yari Curry. Sure is. Yari Curry, who used to be the 3v5 penalty killer for the Oilers and sort of the all-event specialist. And he was the sidekick on the first line, as some people see Leon to this day. Uh, but he was a sidekick that had so much game and could do everything. And and he was like the perfect foil. And in the current case, uh, I mean, he's a different type of player than Curry, certainly. Uh, not a right-hand shot. Uh, but uh, he's got... Uh, uh, Brings so much to the game. Yaron Curry, you know, he shot over 25%. 25% four years in a row. It wasn't like an accident. It wasn't unsustainable. It was sustainable because he was in that perfect set of circumstances where he was firing quick, accurate, uh, heavy shots from good shooting positions being set up by sublime passers. I mean, and, and you, know what we're you, gonna, you know what we're going to see next, Bruce? Oscar Clefbaum isn't long for the Oilers power play I'm going to say okay like he he's he's a very he's functional there but th- how many times do I see him pass the puck over to Drysdale and then Drysdale instead of being able to one time it has to readjust to get the pass, pass because yeah so it's he has to re- stop reset pass it like it's it's just not quite there so we're going to we're soon going to see either Ethan Bear Evan Bouchard in years to come probably or even Joel Parison maybe we, we, we'll see how this player develops. Maybe he won't pan out. Maybe he'll be in the HL. He's a power play. He's a power play specialist in the Swedish league. And he uh, was. So you know, yeah. So I just think. Let's see. Yeah, that'll be the next thing. Is is Drysaddle just going to get, you know, set up a little bit better from the point, um, uh, for one timer shots, and that's going to be. I'm looking forward to that. Or setting up one-timer shots from the point. To a right-handed. Assists are good too, right? Assists are as good as a goal. Anyway, if you go to the NHL.com site right now, click on stats. On the front page, you get two pictures of Leon Drysaddle, leading the league in goals, leading the league in points. And 26th and as you in said salary. today, 26th yeah. in salary. I'm going to have to update that little, uh, that little um, tweet I sent you earlier saying third and points. Is it third and goal, third and points, fourth and goals, and twenty six in salary? Well, yeah. now it's first and first, and still twenty six. He he is the Oilers' best player right now, and um, saying a lot, of course. But it, it I think it is yeah. a fair comment. Uh, you're not the first person that said that to me tonight, and you know, I, 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 even I said it myself. My, oh, you did. I, in my first <laughs> power rankings in early October, after the first couple games, I I actually had him as the best player because he started yeah. out that way, and it's so and it's maintained. So that's a pretty amazing accomplishment. 
this yeah. point, he has 25 points, uh, including 12 goals, 11 primary assists, and two secondary assists. So it's either been the goal or first assist on 23 of the 25. Like It's not like he's getting cheap points by passing to McDavid and letting McDavid make the big play, other pass, right? It's uh, uh, bought and paid for. 23 primary points is a lot. And when he, and when he, this is the main caveat, when he puts his mind to it, mm-hmm. he is a defensive monster, right? Like he's just fantastic oh, in his own zone, but he doesn't oh, always, doesn't no, always put that's mind true. He's got, he's got, uh, I'm liking to think that that kind of player, I used to watch them in the past too, that can that have the defensive game that can apply it in the playoffs when yes. they need to bring it. And I remember, for instance, a guy like Mark Messier, who's also somewhat of a, of a, comparable player in certain ways who would drive you nuts with crazy insane risks that he would take during the season but in the playoffs he became more of a two-way ace and and once he was laser focused on the game you know heaven help the other guys (laughs) dry subtle reminds me of of well like three 1970s players so the, the three, they will have three 70s references here. Ya- Yakoshev, Netomatsky, and Esposito. Netomatsky. And, and uh, he, I don't know if he's, I don't know if Espo had that backhand pass like Dreisler at one time. They're kind of different. Yeah, he's more of a Yakoshev, Yakoshev uh, kind of attacker, Leon is, than he is an Esposito. But he, he kind of, he moves, he's hulking like Esposito was and dominating like Esposito was. So he's he moving reminds- in a pretty good company. I was going to make another 70s sports reference and another Leon reminder, diff, different uh, realm of hockey, but a dominant, dominant German German player, Erich Kuhnhackel, who absolutely filled the net for Germany for years and years at the uh, international level and dominated the German league for years. I never and he, saw was a, him. he was a huge man, uh, bigger, you know, I think he was like 6'5", six, five, six, five. in the day when 6'5 was rare. Uh, but he had that he had that calmness with the puck that he knew no one was going to take it off and he was going to make the play he wanted to make. And that's the part that I was seeing a little bit uh, tonight in uh, number 29. Indeed. All right, let's leave it. Where's the next game, Bruce? Saturday morning. 11 a.m. ready for 11 a.m. at Pittsburgh. And you want to talk about your rookie defenseman? Let's see how they're looking on... Uh, Saturday morning when they line up against Sid the Kid and, uh, and his band of sidekicks. And uh, that'll be the test. I mean, they'll, they'll have to play and succeed defensively against very top-level opponents at some point along the way. Malkin may be back for that game, I think I read somewhere. And, and you know what? That actually encourages me it's against Crosby. Because mm-hmm. otherwise you might, like if it was just against some other team, they might not, you'd think it's an early game, they might not be up for it. But because I think it's Crosby, there's going to be they're going to be up for it. They're going to be good to go. So that'll let's be hope exciting. So. Yeah, let's let's hope so. Thanks, Bruce. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, thanks for talking tonight, Bruce. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.